Lord's got something really good for us today. And I don't say that very often at the start of a message. Um, And uh, you you ought to have some expectation about what the Lord's going to get up to. So, uh, and I'm not saying that as a pressure thing for you, but uh, I'm just not going to go into it, but the Lord's been staring in me and confirming different things and uh, he's got good things for us. It's going to be a good morning. So uh, let me pray and uh, we'll, we'll kick in. God, we need you more than a warm jumper, than a full tummy, than a hot coffee, than a good night's sleep, than a full bank account, than a holiday at the beach. Your steadfast love is better than life. And some of us know that well, some of us don't. And I would pray that those who don't would know that today. The great hope throughout the scriptures is that you are the one that walks in the midst of the camp of your people. You walk in their midst. And you walked in our midst in the person of Jesus. And I would ask that you would walk in our our midst today. Amen. I don't know why I'm emotional. You're not meant to be emotional at the start of a message, right? Lord's doing something in me anyway. What are you looking for? Beneath it all, underneath the material, beyond the physical, what are you looking for? I'm not just talking about what you want. What you want is kind of surface level, right? And I'm not just talking about relief from pain, as good as that would be. Go deeper, much deeper. Peace, is that what you want? Health, security, prosperity, freedom from danger. What if you had those things? Would that be enough? Would you be satisfied for the long term? Maybe you think you would. Maybe you think you would be satisfied. And maybe you would be for a while. I think years ago I heard the saying, um, money doesn't make you happy, but it can make you less miserable. Maybe it would work, you think. But in the end, in the end, I, I don't think you would be happy. <laughs> I don't think you would be satisfied in the end. You'd keep going, looking for something else. That's what you would do. Um, how do I know it? Because <laughs> you can see it all over the place. You only have to look at humanity for 10 minutes to know that getting that stuff doesn't get, get you there. It might for a little while, but, but not for very long. You know how else I know it? Because I see the same dynamic in myself. That's why. The same dynamic. You know, we want good things, and it's good to have good things But at the core of who we are, that's not really what we're looking for. It's just not. And the reason why you know that is because you can get good things and it's not enough. You keep going. There's a thirst inside of you that won't be quenched by good things. It's far deeper than that. 
And today we're going to look at a few verses from John 7 where Jesus speaks specifically to this very thing. And he takes us from thinking about something that's physical to thinking about something that's spiritual. Uh, John chapter 7 is where we're up to. And John 7 verse 1 tells us that Jesus goes down and doesn't tell us that Jesus goes down at that point, but it tells us that the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles was on the go. And the fe- this feast for the Israelites was about remembering God's faithfulness in their wandering in the wilderness and his provision along the way, their thankfulness to him for the promised land where there was regular rainfall and crops. Uh, one of the rituals of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, is the daily drawing of water from the Pool of Siloam. They'd bring it up and they'd pour it into... Uh, a bowl next to the altar at the temple and so there was this great focus on physical water thanking God for the provision of water which stretched all the way back right to the rock where the water came out of the rock for the Israelites in the wilderness and it was it was also a, a bit of a prayer time for God's provision of water for the harvest for the fruitfulness of the land and what's interesting in uh, John chapter 7 is uh, we find out in John 7 that Jesus has been teaching, but it actually doesn't tell us anything about what Jesus has been teaching. It's all responses to what other people are saying and thinking. And, and what we get in the text that we're going to look at today, and I'm going to put it on the screen, is we get a blast of Jesus' teaching. I mean, arguably, it's the only point in the whole of John chapter 7 where we find out what Jesus is teaching is and so what we've got is we've got this feast going on where the people are thinking about their bodies they're thinking about food they're thinking about rainfall and water that's going to give them life and he starts to teach them in a loud voice and here's what he says on the last day of the feast the great day it's a great time to say something great on a great day isn't it Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's kick in. Here's the first thing. Thirst. Verse 37, here's here's what it says. (laughs) Three words. If anyone thirsts. And I go, wow. (laughs) Wow. If anyone thirsts. What an an intro. I I just hit it out of the park in three words. If anyone thirsts. I love it. It's an interesting category, right? Because in the church, most of the time, we think about thirst. We think about good stuff. Right? We think that thirsting is a really, really good thing. You know, we go to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. We go to the song, As a deer pants for the water, which wrecks a totally good psalm, right? Is anyone with me on that? You read some scriptures sometimes and you can't but think about the song. Oh, it's probably good for a while. I'm not bagging the person who wrote it. but Now, thirst may be good, if we go to the right place to quench it. But thirst actually isn't a good thing. Let's just think about the idea of thirst for a little bit. <laughs> you know what thirst is? Thirst is a result of a lack of fluids in your body. This is pretty straightforward. Your body lacks something, 
You have this thirst to satisfy it. Uh, and already you should be seeing here that thirst has got some negative connotations to it. We, we live in a day of water bottles, don't we? And, and it actually hasn't been like this for very long. I remember when people started coming out with the idea that you could sell water to people, people just went, this is never going to work, all right? Because people can get perfectly good water for nothing. Why would they buy water? But we are in the day where we buy water. That's what we do. And everyone's carrying a water bottle now. I've got a two-litre water bottle, all right? Because someone said sometime that I heard it that it's good to drink two litres a day. Because then you don't have to work as much because you're in the toilet all the time, <laughs> all right? But do you know something? When I continuously drink water, and I see people do this too, when I, when I continuously drink water, you know what I don't have? I don't thirst. And I see people do it. They drink from their water bottle every 20 minutes. They don't thirst. Thirst is the absence of something, all right? And when you come across the scripture, you see the theme of physical thirst popping up throughout. You've got the, uh, the physical thirst of the Israelites in the, in the wilderness, the Exodus narrative where the people thirst, they complain, and then God provides water from a rock. And this is kind of part of what the feast of the tabernacles is all about. But when God gets involved, physical thirst is meant to be a pointer to your spiritual thirst. And this is what Jesus is talking about right here. When you go to Scripture and you look at the idea of thirst, here's what you actually find when you look closely. Thirst is a curse. Thirst is a curse. Now, straight up. Some of you are probably thinking about pushback scriptures which speak about thirst. And let me give you the one that I referred to earlier, and it's Psalm 42, verse 1 to 2. This is the one you kind of, we all feel like we're supposed to aspire to. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And we're all meant to go, we're meant to be like that. But I'll tell you something, if you're like that, and I don't mean to be rude, but it kind of sucks to be you, right? Because if you actually read on in the psalm, this is what the next few verses actually say. Read these and go, yeah, that's what I want to be like. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why you cast down, O my soul, and why you in turmoil within me, hope in God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. What's going on here? The dude's disconnected from Jesus. He's disconnected from God. And I'll tell you something, it sucks. It sucks for him. Do you see that? The thirst that he's got is the fruit or the result of the consequences of his disconnection from God. His thirst isn't good. His thirst is a curse. It's interesting, right? Now, I don't have time this morning to do a full biblical theological treatment on thirst, right? But once you start to see this, you'll, you'll realize that right across the whole of the Scriptures, that thirst is a curse. It's a curse, all right? 
One of the best places you could go, and I'd encourage you to go and spend some time meditating on this chapter, is uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, all right? Let me give you a few excerpts out of it. This is verse 13. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns. So your toilet has a cistern. I don't mean to be irreverent, but a cistern holds water. That's the point of a cistern doesn't mean that the only kind of system is a toilet system, right? But that's, that's an example of it. Uh, they've hewed out systems for themselves, broken systems that can hold no water. Now, this is pretty straightforward, okay? You've got two options in this verse for satisfying your thirst, okay? It's either the fountain of living waters or a broken system that doesn't hold water, okay? Now, which one's better? The fountain, right? Now, even if I ask you this question, would you rather have a fountain of living water or a cistern that could hold water? Which one would be better then? I'm taking the fountain every day of the week. Are you? That's what you want. You want the fountain, right? Because there's no limits to a fountain. It just keeps coming at you. But let me, let me ask you this question. What, what is going to happen if you forsake the fountain of living water and you go to a broken cistern, what's going to happen? And this is like audience participation time. What will happen to you? You're going to get thirsty. All right? This is not rocket science, right? You're going to get thirsty. It's very, very straightforward. See, thirst is a sign that something's wrong. It's a sign that you don't have what you need. And I could ask this question, well, what do we thirst for? Or do you know what we thirst for at the core of everything? Right underneath the seat, the foundation, the bottom floor, you know what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's how you're designed to live. But in the absence of connecting with Jesus, the one-stop shop, I might add, we end up thirsting after all sorts of things. Let me give you some options. Here's 14. Now, I could go on and some of you go, amen, that brother can go on. He's, he preaches a long time, I'm, I believe you. Love, security, joy, pleasure, peace, purpose, truth, meaning, forgiveness, Covering for shame, shalom, shalom's the, the peace of everything working properly. If you ever get frustrated that things just don't always work the way they're supposed to work, that's, that's a, a thirst for shalom, beauty, relationship, freedom. No one's saying any of these are bad in and of themselves. But if we don't go deeper to see what we most deeply long for, then we'll miss the satisfaction of enjoying these things, right? Because sitting in underneath all of these things is a person, is a person. And our thing is that we come at this stuff because, and I think it's just a human thing, but I think in a materialistic, consumeristic society, we just go, well, where do we buy that? Where do I go and get that? I just want that bit. 
And this is kind of, if you know the story of the rich young ruler, this is the rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus, he says, I've got pretty much everything. Tell me how to get the thing I don't have, and that's eternal life. Tell me where I can buy that. And what happens when we do that is, is we, we treat these things like vending machine kind of things, where we just go and put in a certain amount of money, and it's like, or whatever it is that we feel like we need to pay, and we just want to get that actual thing. But when we do that, when we go after these things, you know what we do to them? We turn them into idols and we wreck them. <laughs> That's what we do. So if you sat there and you go, yeah, I want to get after some of those things, it's like everyone does. But if you make that thing the object of your pursuit, you'll turn it into an idol and you'll wreck it. See, all of these things... If you turn them into the focus for you, the thing that you actually have to have, if you start saying, if I just have these things, and you say, Peter, I, I, don't, I don't want all 14. Let's be happy with two and a half. I, I don't care. You turn any of these things into something that you think is going to satisfy your thirst, you know what it's going to do? It's going to make you thirstier. That's what it does. We... Um, and this is part of our problem, right, is that we think we want this, these, these things, and in a sense that we do, but they actually have the reverse effect that we want them to have when we go after them. I'm going to read you some things from online um, that I read from uh, marineinsight.com about what happens when you're stranded at sea in a life raft, and you're crazy thirsty, and you start drinking salt water. Ready? Excessive thirst. Drinking salt water of, out of the sea comes as one of the last resorts the seafarers went out on the sea. However, it fails the very purpose it is done for. One of the major effects of drinking salt water is not quenching of thirst, but an augmentation in it. Due to excessive salt content of seawater, the body does not register the water in it, but only the salt. As such, there would be no satiation, but only maddening desire to drink more and more water. Does that sound familiar? What about this one? Impairment of judgment. Impairment of judgment or going crazy, as it is also referred to sometimes, is one of the major effects of drinking salt water. The scientific explanation for this is that upon intake of seawater, a seafarer would not really be satiated. His thirst would rather increase. However, with the presence of copious amount, amounts of water in front of him, he would want to continue drinking more water, being unable to control the thirst. Dehydration. You die of dehydration even as you become thirstier. Kidney failure and death. You come to church for a pick-me-up, hey? <laughs> you see this? You see this dynamic in humanity? You see this dynamic in the Bible? Totally you do. Let me go back to uh, Jeremiah 2. Um, and, and tell me if this is not a crazy, maddening desire for more with things that only make your thirst worse. 23 to 25, M-rated. 
How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the Baals, the false gods. Look at, the, at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there. Listen to this bit. This is what God's calling his people. A wild donkey used to the wilderness in her heat, sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her, this, this donkey on heat, none who seek her need weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going unshod and your throat from thirst. Do you hear that? You're not meant to be thirsty. But you said, it's hopeless, for I've loved foreigners and after them I will go. You see, the, the efforts that we have to satisfy thirst without God and lust go together, they're never satisfied. So here's the bottom line. If you're disconnected from God, you're thirsty. Are you disconnected from God? And here's the thing. Jesus makes the statement, if anyone thirsts, and it's a very, very wise statement because here's the thing. Everyone thirsts, but not everyone thinks they're thirsty. <laughs> Why? Because you're mad maddeningly drinking salt water. You're throwing other things in there. We're drinking anything to try and satisfy our thirst. If anyone thirsts. Who thirsts? Let me give you a, a couple of different categories of people who, who thirst. I think there's at least two. The person who has never connected with Jesus thirsts. That's how it works. If you're here today and you've never connected with Jesus and you go, I thirst, that's why. You thirst because you've never connected with Jesus. But I think there's another category of people who thirst as well and that's God's children who are not connected to him in real time. You thirst. And so there's this offer coming from Jesus, right? And you have to work out whether you're thirsty or not. And you have to work out whether you actually want to come because he says, at the start, he says, if anyone thirsts. You come up to me at the end and you say, Peter, nice sermon maybe, but I'm not really into Jesus that much. I just go, well, you just don't realise how thirsty you are. You see, the offer that Jesus has for you will only connect with you if you realise that you've got a deeper thirst for God himself. If you don't, if you think that you just need stuff or a different situation, you'll be okay. The offer's not really for you. Not because it's not for you, but because you're not in a place where you can receive it. I'm not saying that there, aren't, there isn't stuff and situations that are going to make your life easier. I'm just talking about a deeper down thirst that Jesus is talking about here. It's an open invitation. It's an open invitation that was put forward by the prophet Isaiah uh, about 800 years earlier. In Isaiah 55 verse 1, Jesus is the personal fulfilment of it. 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Well, how do you, how do you buy stuff in a way that doesn't cost you anything? You use someone else's money, <laughs> right? Someone else pays for it. That's how you buy stuff without it costing you anything. Number two, first one, thirsty. Number two, the thirst quencher. What does Jesus say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Here we have the next thing that Jesus says. If you're thirsty today, you need to get a drink from Jesus. <laughs> I'm not talking about a Red Bull or a coffee. The scriptures are not talking about that. Jesus is not talking about that. Now, what does it mean to get a drink from Jesus? Well, you can actually see it from the next, the next verse. It's verse 38. The very next thing that Jesus says is, whoever believes in me. See, coming to Jesus is about buying into him. It's about trusting him. It's about being joined to him. More on that in a moment. And it's a very real invitation. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, you should trust him, right? And you will, you will get a deep, deep drink that will go right down into your soul from him and the person of who he is. This is an invitation to those who have never tasted Christ, but I think it's also an invitation for us, folks. It's a reminder to those who have had their thirst quenched about how to keep it quenched, <laughs> right? How to keep it quenched. Our, our tendency to stop trusting in Christ, to stop relying upon him, to stop believing in him, it can flick all over the place at any point in time, right? And when it does, it creates thirst in us. And it reminds us that we are not self-contained. We need a constant supply of goodness coming from Jesus himself to be alive. And I want to say to you that, that the goodness that comes from Christ, you know, we looked at those 14 things before. They're not like these independent entities you can kind of grab a hold of. I remember a number of weeks ago, I, um, I quoted Julie Canlis, who uh, just made the, the statement in one of her writings that Jesus never gives us anything in which he is not personally involved. So if you want peace, if you want joy, if you want purpose, Jesus is not going to hand it out like it's a can of tin corn, right? And you just go, there you go, there's your bit of purpose. You get it when you get him. It's a package deal, right? And our deal is that we tend to separate the gifts from God himself. We want forgiveness, we want freedom, we want peace, and we think that we can have them on our own. But you can't. You can't have them on their own. Not the way that you're meant to have them, right? You can steal a little bit of it, but you just can't have it on its own because it comes with Jesus. That's how you get it. Sometimes people ask me this question, right? You get asked all sorts of questions as a, as a pastor. Um, and it's lots of fun because you never know what the question is going to be. But sometimes people ask me this question. 
And I, I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. They go, Peter, do you, do you want to see the mighty works of the Spirit in the church? Right? And, um, and you, know what I, you know how I answer that? I say this. I say, yes, I do. But what I want most is Jesus. And if I have him, then he can do whatever he wants to do. And some of you, uh, some of you have seen, uh, just with that particular example, some of you have seen the church kind of blow out a bit in that direction. It's like, we just want these mighty works and Jesus gets left over there, behind the curtain. It doesn't work like that. It never works like that. No good thing that Jesus gives is independent of Jesus. It wouldn't be loving for him to do otherwise. So he gives himself... And I say, Jesus, you can do whatever you want to do. But here's a question. Some of you, a couple of questions, actually, that some of you are probably still asking or wondering maybe in the back of, back of your head. Well, how do you come to Jesus? If he says, come to me, how do, you, how do you come to Jesus? How do you drink from Jesus? And there's lots of answers to these questions, but I want to throw one your way, which will gather a bunch of the answers together and in doing so, I want to start with this statement. Jesus is a person. Jesus is a person. He's intensely personal by nature. And it's pretty straightforward, actually. If you want to come and drink from a person, it's going to be personal. It's going to have to be personal in nature. You're going to need to be personal with Jesus. And, and this is why Jesus talks in in the next verse, about um, believing in him. Because I'll tell you something, believing is a very personal thing to do. It's when you put your trust in someone. It's a very, very personal activity. And if you want to ongoingly drink from Jesus, then you'll need to be ongoingly personal with him in ever-deepening ways. I'd love to have a show of hands, but I won't throw you under the bus. You know, I have not... I don't think I've ever met anyone that doesn't have trust issues. You might go, no, I think I'm okay. It's like, well, okay, well, maybe, maybe you are. Because you know, you know what trust requires? Trust actually requires that you give yourself to another person. And you could get hurt. It's a very personal thing. To believe in Christ and to trust in him at the deepest level, in that place, the Achilles heel that you have. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That's a very personal thing. You see, we say this over and over and over and over again at Restoration Church. You know why we say this stuff over and over and over and over again? Because the glory of God and the restoration of humanity is all dependent upon humans and Jesus being personal with each other. That's where it comes from. That's what the Bible teaches. Coming to Jesus and drinking from Jesus are about being personal with Jesus. It's, it's quite straightforward. But I just want to add this. Um, People in the church, in my experience, and I've been in the church my whole life, are far less clear about how to be personal with Jesus than they think they are, all right? We, we might like the idea of it, 
but not know how to do it. We might like the idea of it, be, be stuck in guilt and shame. We might even just be clueless about how to be personal. Some people grow up in families and no one was ever personal in your family. So you just go, I don't even know how to do that. And then you've kind of come along to a church and the church hasn't, I'll be honest with you, the church hasn't always been that helpful in teaching people how to be personal with Jesus. Sometimes, but not always. We value it. It's really important to us, as I said, because God's glory and the restoration of humanity depends upon it. And here's a plug. Yes, there's going to be an advertisement in the middle of this sermon. And it's this one, right? You should do restore groups. It's coming up in turn three and the dates are on the screen. There's a QR code there. Why? Because restore groups are going to teach you how to be personal with Jesus in the details of your life and to keep doing it. All right? You should sign up for that. It's a crash course, right? It'll be the best time that you've spent and the best 75 bucks you've spent. All right? So I encourage you to sign up. We'll send it out again. But we're passionate about this stuff. So we've got the thirst, the thirst quencher, and then couriers of the thirst quencher. You ready for this? Are you ready? You guys are, you're ready, aren't you? You just don't look ready. Okay, here it is. A couple of you are ready. This is, um, this is what Jesus goes on to. Um, whoever believes in me, out of this, uh, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this, this, this is awesome, right? This is a massive contrast. Don't miss the significance of where Jesus goes here. You know what this is? This is, this is a rags to riches story. That's what this is. This is a pauper to a prince story. That's what it is. Remember, not that long ago, we were talking about thirst and death, madness, blindness, broken cisterns. But when you come to Jesus, you go from scarcity to abundance. That's what happens. Not only do you have your thirst quenched, but you now have rivers of living water flowing out of you. <laughs> I spent five years of my childhood in Ballina. Anyone know where Ballina is? Now, Ballina is in the region called the Northern Rivers, right? The Northern Rivers region. And I didn't pay any attention to it. It's called the Northern Rivers because there's a bunch of big rivers at Ballina and in the Northern Rivers area. That's a picture of one of them. I, I just didn't even pay that much attention as a kid. And over many years of living in Queensland, who's with me on this, you go, you go over a tiny little kind of, it's not even really a bridge, and there's a sign there saying it's a creek. You know what I'm saying? You just go, really? It's a ditch, right? And how many decades since any water ran down that thing? That, that's kind of what I got accustomed to. But recently, um, a number of years ago, after having not been to the Northern Rivers in a long time, uh, my family and I went down through the Northern Rivers, visited Ballina. And do you know, it's amazing because these are not 
Queensland creeks, these are northern rivers, rivers, and they are big, and they're wide, and a lot of water goes down these rivers. It's amazing, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. When you come to Jesus to get your thirst quenched, I want you to hear me in this, you won't just have enough for you, you're going to have enough for the people around you as well, like the northern rivers, right? But it only comes when you're closely connected to him, only by believing and trusting in him. You know this is right, don't you? Because there's been times in your life where you've been really close to Jesus and everything in your life has turned to crap and you've been given hand, you, you're giving handouts instead of needing to receive them. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's an abundance for you when you're handing them out. And you look around and you see other people around the place. You go, how can you be in such an incredibly crappy place and you're helping all these other people? Because they've got rivers of living water flowing out of them. That's why. That's how it works. I'm going to read you a scripture. It just captures this. And here's an image for you. This is Jeremiah as well. Just, just look at that tree as I read this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see that? It's unstoppable, right? Well, ever there's water there, and Jesus is an unending supply of water, that tree is going to be green and bearing fruit. And I want to say to you if, you, if your life sucks at the moment, and there's a whole bunch of hard things going on, you can bear fruit right in the middle of that if you're connected to Jesus. I have no doubt about that. No doubt whatsoever. This is the deal, right? Well, how does that happen? Well, Jesus tells you how that happens. The Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes, the third member of the Trinity, and indwells you and pours out the living water through you. Verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now if you knew your Old Testament, you wouldn't be surprised, right? Because this is what it says in Isaiah 44 verse 3, For I'll pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour my Spirit upon your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. If you're in a hard season, you have better believe that God is the God of the comeback. He is the God who can flip things, and you better believe that He can flip them really quickly. All those prophecies in the Old Testament, there's going to be dry ground, and all of a sudden there's going to be rivers of water coming over the top of it. You aren't the living water. 
But if you love Jesus, you have the living water. <laughs> you have it. And the Spirit comes and is like water on dry ground. But here's the thing. The dry ground just isn't us. The dry ground is the people who are around you. You see here what Jesus is saying? Is he saying that you won't just have enough for you? You have enough for all the dry ground around you. So where's the dry ground? Can you think of it? Do you know where it is? Can you see it? Can you see where the dry ground is? That one's for you. That one's for you. You have enough in the Spirit to pour water over that dry ground. And do you know something? (laughs) That is not a river of living water, is it? That's a pond. It's a dam. It's probably got a feeder, but it's a pond. It's not an active, moving river. I want to say to you this morning, it's especially relevant in the middle of winter. You have more power than you realise. Do you believe it? You have more power than you realise. Hey, you get up in the morning, you just go, it's cold and I'm tired and I didn't get a good night's sleep and our air conditioner broke this week. It actually did. All right? It's about an hour before the house is warm in the morning. You can complain about it, whinge about it. This is my life. Stuff just doesn't happen. Or you can realise that you've got the Holy Spirit. And you can expect a supply from him for everything that you need and everything that the people around you need. Some of you might go, oh, I don't have enough for me. How can I have enough for everyone else? Well, you just do. Because it's not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon the one who's living inside of you. And I'll tell you something, there's some ducks that God likes to get in a row with people before he really starts to use them. And one of them is that you need to come and believe in him. But your healing will not be finished by the time he wants to use you to pour water, over, pour the Holy Spirit and God's presence over someone else's dry ground. You hear me on that? It just won't be done. So if you sit around, I remember when I was a younger guy and uh, I spent three or four hours in, when I was in my 20s, I spent three or four hours in prayer and pretty naively just thought, man, I've got some serious gnarly issues in my life and, and, um, and I'm just going to spend some time in worship and prayer and get these things sorted out, right? Because God wants things sorted out before people are going to serve him and Look, there's things that need to get sorted out before you can get in a leadership position. I'm not saying that everyone gets a Guernsey for everything straight away, right? There's some stuff that the New Testament talks about with that. But, you know, if you, if you just kind of get, it, get down in the detail and you just go, I'm going to get all this stuff sorted out, you're going to be waiting a really long time. And on that day, you know what God said to me? Not audibly, but he basically said to me, get going. Get going. There's a fast that uh, I think the prophet of, of Isaiah talks about where he talks about get out there and bind up the broken heart and get doing some stuff and then your healing will spring forth speedily as with the dawn. 
There's no waiting period before you can bless someone else with the Lord's work in you. So just go and do it. And there is a thing, and I just... This is where I'm going to finish this morning. I'm going to finish where we're up to at this point in time. There's, you need to know there's, there's a, such a thing as, as this. You know, we, we might be curious of the first quenter, but you can actually quench the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a whole other sermon, which I'm not going to preach. How do you do that? Well, by pushing aside the Spirit's work. Next verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20. says, one of the ways that you quench the Spirit is to despise prophecies. God puts something on someone's heart and they come and share it with you. You just go, no, I don't want to hear it. We don't make space for that. You know, we, we as a church are not cessationist, okay? Cessationism is where you believe a bunch of the spiritual gifts disappeared or uh, just ceased uh, being practised. We are, we are not a cessationist church. We believe that God can give whatever gifts he wants for the good of the body, for the building up the body. And I think we've forgotten a little bit about that. And that I think God wants to get a lot more active. And, you know, one of the things that we can do to quench the spirit is we can, um, you know, we can quench the spirit out of reaction because we've seen some Christians or some churches handle the gifts of the spirit in a way that's just not helpful in your mind. And so we can kind of push into the side. But I want to say to you that you don't correct an excess by throwing it out. All right? You don't correct an excess by throwing it out. You correct an excess by doing it properly and doing it carefully. You know, if, if you've seen the gifts used in a way that's unhelpful and you go, I'm just going to throw it out, you've just gone to the other extreme. That's an extreme and that's an extreme. And God would have you be somewhere in the middle. You can quench the spirit by relying on something other than him. Think about that when it comes to your day on Friday. That just went. How much did you get done on your own? <laughs> you know, you get up on Friday and you, you go all day, you don't pray, don't even think about God, or you probably quench the spirit. All right? You get up and you go, I'm a bit nervous, a bit fearful about a few things, and I've got enough money in the bank account to save me. You probably quench the spirit. Not that those things are bad, but uh, not looking to the spirit for his activity in his life. Not expecting or looking for the leading of the spirit is another way to quench the spirit. Here's another one. Having such clearly defined and mechanical structures in your life that there's actually no wiggle room for the spirit to lead. We are meant to quench thirst with the Holy Spirit, not quench the Holy Spirit. 